If you got a Bible today, either on your phone or you got your uh, leather-bound Bible or your paperback, or you need to borrow one from the church, grab it today and go to the book of Matthew this morning. Because it's Palm Sunday, we're going to go ahead and we're going to we're going to discuss it. But I'm going to talk about a little bit of a different nuance um, that is presented in here and what I feel I got out of it for you guys this year. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to start at verse 1, and I'm just going to read the whole story to you guys. All right, so Matthew 21, verse 1, and this is called the triumphal entry. And this is coming out of the NIV version. <clears throat> As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you've preserved your story complete and unblemished so that we can use it to grow ourselves and share you to everybody we're around. Father, we just ask that you would take this word and place it in our hearts and let us absorb it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today, as we've been doing already and talking about it, we're commemorating the final entrance of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. Jesus came into Jerusalem to do work, to do the work that was appointed him by God his Father. The people of Jerusalem had many expectations according to their interpretation of prophecy. They were soon to find out that when God moves, oftentimes it looks a lot different than they expected. One of the great things I like about Matthew's Gospel is Matthew, as he was writing, his presentation is to show the Jewish people that what is taking place was foretold about and proved. Just like it says in our, in our passage here, in verse 5, where it says, <clears throat> or verse 4, this, is, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And then he recalls the prophecy that was written down and preserved for the Jewish people. So he was trying really hard to prove to the Jewish people or show them that Jesus was the Messiah and what he did was what was prophecy. Because what they expected, what they thought was going to take place, was going to look a lot different than how it happened. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about their expectation this morning, what they expected. You see, they expected Jesus to come into Jerusalem and claim the throne. This was during what um, a lot of scholars call the intertestamental period, where the prophets hadn't spoken a lot, and they were under oppression. The Romans had 
come and kind of take in charge of their country and were telling them how they were going to do everything while making them feel like they were still doing a little bit. They let them have their Sanhedrin and stuff. But the Romans, Caesar, Pontius Pilate, had the final say over Israel. They called the shots. And so they were under oppression. They didn't get to worship the way they, the way they should. They paid taxes. And a lot of times, these tax collectors we read about in the Bible, they were told how much they were supposed to collect, but they weren't told that they couldn't collect more. So they might go over to your house for property taxes, and your property tax sheet might say you owe $500, but they'll say, give me $1,500, and they'd pocket the rest. So these tax collectors were wealthy. They were worse than car salesmen. All right, now I'm going on a rabbit trail, so let's try to stay on, stay on task. But what I'm saying is the Israelites just had a lot of things going on in their lives that were oppressive. And so they were waiting for their Messiah because they knew a Messiah was supposed to come and they were expectant of a Messiah in the near future. And so a lot of them had seen some of the great things that Jesus had done, some of the miracles, and they were like, this, this, I think this is the one. And so he makes, he makes this final entry sitting on a donkey and they're going, he's it. Now, first off, a lot of their expectation probably was that he was going to come in in warrior mode. And to come in on a donkey is a little bit different than warrior mode. You know, I mean, we sing that song, um, How Beautiful is the Rider on the White Horse. You know, like last night, okay, we were, we've been watching an oldie but a goodie going through it again. We were watching The Two Towers, Lord of the Rings, the second one. And uh, right there at the end, when Helm's Deep is under siege by all the orchids, or Orakai, and it looks like all hope is lost and they're going to get destroyed. Here comes Gandalf on the mountaintop. Remember, because he said on the fifth day, look to the east at sunrise. And there he is, the white horse, glowing. You know, they got him glowing a little bit. And he comes down and he's got all these soldiers with him and they totally just obliterate the Orakai. Take them out. I think that's probably what a lot of the Israelites were thinking and expecting Jesus to do. He was going to go in there. He was going to make a mockery of Pontius Pilate and Caesar and kick them out of the land of Israel. And he was going to sit on that throne and he was going to rule that way. This is what a lot of them would have called the Davidic prophecy. The branch of David prophecy. That the Messiah would overthrow their enemies, lead them and put them to death put to death the king of the enemy. That he would establish a theocracy. Do you guys know what a theocracy is? That's a government ruled by God. All right? Like Iran would make the claim that they are probably a theocracy. Well, I don't believe in their God, so they're not a theocracy. But they were expecting to establish a theocracy. A government run and ruled by God. That was their expectation. That he was going to... Everything was going to be perfect. You know what I mean? He was going to, you know... Socialist society, free Medicare for everybody. Everybody gets fed. He's going to take care of it all. That was an expectation. But now let's talk about the reality. Because while the reality wasn't what they expected, oh man, it's so much better. It is so much better than what they expected. All right? And Jesus did not come riding in on this donkey to destroy the earthly enemy of Israel with a sword drawn full of rage. So their, pro, their branch of David prophecy didn't work out the way expected. But he made an entrance. 
He made an entrance that was mild, I think. I mean, people were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest praises to God. Do you guys know what Hosanna means? God saves. Hosanna. Right? His entrance was mild. You see, because Christ works in gentle ways a lot of times. So He came in this way gently, mildly. But the way in which He did had a specific meaning. He rode in on a donkey and her colt. You know, when I was reading that this week and I wanted to do a Palm Sunday message for you guys, I go, a donkey and a colt. Why did he ride in on a donkey and a colt? And you start to pick this apart and you go, well, you know, um, his mother rode into Bethlehem on a donkey. Does that have anything to do with it? And you're like, a donkey spoke? No. But when you pick it apart, you find historically that the judges of Israel, they're... Their primary method of transportation was to ride on a white donkey. And their sons would ride on the colt of a white donkey. That was how a judge rode around the countryside. All right? And so he rides in on a donkey and a colt. All right? I think that's a symbolic message that God and his son are riding in and that there needs to be some judging take place. Some judgment. But not destructive judgment. You know, like, we need to work some things out here, people. So he rode in to express the need for judgment on Israel. But he also rode in on a donkey to show his humility. So he rode in mild. But he also rode in meek. And a lot of people take the word meek to think the meek is like a sick and lowly person. You know what I mean? Like, isn't that what you think when you hear the word meek, sick and lowly, or, you know, unable to have the power and the strength? You know, he's a meek guy. All right? When Jesus wrote in, they're expecting him to take over the king. And he's coming in, and he's realizing, and he knows that as the religious leaders and the government leaders see him come in, that a lot of them, he's not going to be able to change their hearts. You know that? He knew it. He knew that he was not going to be able to change the hearts of the Sanhedrin, of the Sadducees, and most of the Pharisees. He got one though, didn't he? (laughs) He got the best one, Paul. But anyways, he couldn't get them all, and he wasn't going to change Pontius Pilate's heart or Caesar's heart. He knew that when he came in, and he accepted this and the undesirable circumstances of events that would take place in the coming days. He didn't accept the fact and resigned to let mankind have their way, though. That's where meekness is. All right? If you have an issue in your life and you know you can't change it, you know the serenity prayer kind of thing, and you work through it and you find a different route, you don't give up on it. That's being meek. When you go and you say, I can't change anything, and you just lie on the floor and act like you're dead, that's called being a wuss. All right? All right? He didn't come in as a wuss. He came in being meek. All right? He knew, or his meekness showed his strength and his ability to exercise self control. Because we got to remember that our God, He's an all powerful God. And what He says goes. And He could have gone in there and He did some, during Passion Week, He did some stuff like overthrowing the money changers and like stress some of His 
dislike for things that were going on. But don't think for a second that gee, that God's not the type that could have had his son come down and he could have just come and like put a plague on everybody and let everybody die right away. I mean, he did it to Sodom and Gomorrah. He turned them into a salt field. He could have done it to Jerusalem too. But he came in meek, knowing that I'm not going to change the leader's hearts, but I'm going to do something special for everybody. And for those that realize that I fulfilled prophecy and that I am the Son of God and I am their Messiah, they can have an opportunity to have something awesome. So he came in meek. He came in mild. He came in meek. But his entrance was also merciful. You know what I mean? Merciful. I love it. I love calling him merciful God. God of mercy. Mercy is translated from a Hebrew term. And I'm going to try to get this one. This is a hard one. Check this. I bet I totally tore that up. It's C-H-E-C-E-D-H. Check. Something like that. Which means loving kindness. So his entrance was merciful, but it was loving kindness is what his entrance was about. Because his entrance, it was about overthrowing a kingdom that we can't see. But it was about coming in and showing grace to mankind. And I don't just say the Israel Israelites. I say mankind because it was for the Jew and it was for the Gentile. Grace. You guys ever remember the old grace acronym? God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. You learn that in Bible school. Not Bible school, like Sunday school when you're a little kid. Grace. His entrance was about kindness. You know, because he had kindness towards us. He is a just God. And he is going to get the respect he deserves one way or the other. But he was kind enough to know what our needs were. His entrance was about compassion. About going, man, you guys got a mess here. As I like to say, sometimes you pooped in your pants. <laughs> but I'm here to clean it up for you. <laughs> People shaking their heads. Oh, there goes Pastor Zach again. But it's true. You've made a mess of things. And I have compassion on you. I have pity towards you. And I want to help you. I want to do something for you. That's what his entrance was about. See, mercy is an essential nature about who God is. He's slow to anger. His grace is abundant and never-ending. He is a good Father. Even in the stories in the Old Testament when people went and made a mess out of things, the Israelites went and they forgot how to worship God or they started worshiping other gods and things like that. He was a lot slower in anger than he needed to be. He could have just smashed them right there. Even in Noah's flood, he was a gracious God because he tried to work with those people for a long time. They didn't do anything, but he preserved the remnant of mankind mercifully to reestablish the earth. He even showed mercy to Adam and Eve when Adam and Eve made the original sin, he could have just said, well, that one didn't work out and smashed it and started it over. But we all read when he comes down and talks to Adam and Eve that he gives the first prophecy that, you know what? 
this isn't going to last forever because I'm sending someone that is going to smash the snake's head, the snake's head under his foot, and that was Jesus. And so we have and we see what the Israelites expected and what the reality was. But I have to ask you, when we put the two together and we see what that reality was, what should we expect from God? And what do we learn about Him from this passage? What we should expect. The first thing you need to understand is God is seriously and intimately concerned for His creation. For His people. He wants what's best for us. And He wants us to have hope. Because that's what Jesus is. He's a message of hope. And Jesus is what's best for us. Without a doubt. He wants us to have that hope. He wants us to experience true joy. You guys know the difference between happiness and joy? We know the difference. The temporary happiness here on earth. Ooh, I got a new car. I'm happy. Oh, the first payment, I'm not happy. Right? You guys know, right? Or joy, where it's just everlasting. Every day you see His mercies are new. Every day you know that eternity is going to be good. True joy, that's what He wants. It's His concern. And He's so concerned because He hasn't had an audience with those that are lost. He wants to have an audience and a relationship with them and truly know who they are and have them truly know who He is. Another thing that we should expect and see when we look at this is that God works in mysterious ways. His ways are not our ways. The way He does things and conducts His business is way different than we expect. I mean, look at these people. They're expecting Him to come in with a sharp Excalibur bad dude and like chop Caesar's head off and sit on a gold throne and rule perfectly. But He comes in so meek, mild, and merciful. He does things often very differently First off, he does it in his own timing. You know? He does it in his own timing. When he feels the time is right, not when we feel the time is right. Have you guys ever had that where you're longing and you're expecting and you're believing for him to do something? And it's not happening. And it's not happening. And it's not happening. And then it happens. You know, I was thinking about it a lot this week, you know, and they tell you, you know, some of the analogies they use is just follow his hand. He won't show you the future. He's not going to show you the next step in life and things like that. He will guide you. He will lead you. And you see those pictures where people are like walking and it's cloudy and then there's a cliff and the guy steps off and there's a cross right there and all that, all, all those neat little analogies. And I believe in those. I, I think those are good analogies and illustrations. But sometimes I think it's good as you're walking with him to look back and see what he's done on that path because I'll tell you what we're not very observant people sometimes so we got to go back and take an an assessment of what he's done he works in mysterious ways and in his own timing and in his own way you know it's just who he is and it's how he is and he's very creative and he's not of this world so it's going to be a lot different I have seen things take place in my life and prayer answers to prayers happen in ways I was like, wow, I didn't see that one coming. And I hope you guys have experienced that too. Because it's a faith builder when that happens. 
He does it in his own way. A sick person finding healing, you know? You see a lot of that these days. You always have people that are sick. That's one of the primary reasons people go for prayer, is they're sick. A situation in life, they go and they're sick. We're using this one as, a, as one of the main ones. They're sick and they're looking for healing. And they expect the miraculous to happen, like instantly healed right there. And he does that. He does do that. But sometimes his answer to prayer is through medicine. Sometimes it is miraculous. It can go either way. He works in mysterious ways, and he works the way he feels that you need. He might tell you that you need healing, or you might know you need healing, and he says, I'm going to heal you because he's a God who heals, but he's going to do it different than we think he should. You guys agree with me on that? <laughs> All right. All right. So never say he doesn't hear or see you. Press into him. There was another one that I used to teach the youth group was use the acronym PUSH when you pray for something, when you pray to God. You guys know what that stands for? Pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. You keep praying. You keep asking. You keep searching. You keep looking. And you, you receive what he has for you. That was the thing with the Israelites. is They have been praying for a long time for a Messiah to show up. They've been praying for a long time for this, for God to come down and, and provide somebody as the answer to their prayers. And when they got it and something happened, they didn't receive what God had for them. It is true. It's absolutely true. And it's true of us today because I do it too. <laughs> I didn't want a Ford. I wanted a Dodge. Press into Him. Continue to seek His face, to seek an audience for Him. Continue to pray to Him. I had one of these old pastors this, this last week, and man, I love him. His name's Pastor Holden. He is, how many of you guys ever watched Brother Bear, the cartoon? You ever watch that? And they got like the big boss bear, and he's just, <laughs> and he's bouncing the salmon around. That is Pastor Dan. All right, he's just a bubbly big guy, loves people, just has a good time. But he goes up there today, or the other day, and he says, continue to pray to God. And I was like, God, I ended up adding this one. He said, continue to pray to God. Continue to ask, because you will receive. Continue to seek, because you will find. Continue to knock, and the door will be opened. If you for, fail to continue to ask, if you stop asking, you can't expect to receive. If you stop seeking, you can't expect to find. If you stop knocking, how do you expect the door to open? Have you ever been to someone's house? Actually, I went to somebody's house. Actually, it was your house. <laughs> it was. It was Nat and Nate's house. Elijah was supposed to go hang out with Caleb. But Elijah went up and knocked on the door. Sorry, you guys get to be an illustration. They're going, oh, Elijah went and knocked on the door and nobody answered. He's like, I don't think anybody's home. Well, I rolled down the window and I know the sound of a rigid planer. You guys know the sound of a rigid planer now too. I know the sound of a rigid planer and I can hear the garage of rigid planers just burning along. I was like, continue to knock, buddy. Knock a few more times. Keep knocking on the door. I said, they're there. Mr. Strong is in there planing some wood, going to town, make some wood, wood fancy. 
And then Elijah knocks on the garage door a couple times. Nobody answers. But he kind of presses in. And then I know Caleb said something about, Dad, I think that's about time Elijah's supposed to be here or whatever. They're going to go bowling. And he comes to the front door. If Elijah would have knocked one time and said, nobody's home. And I said, oh, okay. And we got in the car and drove off. They went and got to hang out with Caleb. He had to continue to knock. And it's the same with Jesus. Man, I'm glad I got that illustration right there. That was a good one. But, <laughs> but you have to continue to knock. You have to continue to knock on his door. He will answer the door. We have to continue to ask because he wants to give you what, you're, what you need. You know. Now, one of those things that comes with that, and, and I'm done with my notes here, so these are all just freebies. But one of the things that happens with us is we go and we start to ask and seek and knock for things that are outside his glory, that are outside his purpose for you. And then we get an answer that's a lot different than what we expect. You know, We've had that discussion before. We're like, oh, I just need a new car. Well, you got a 2017 Cadillac Escalade. Why do you need a new car? You know, He may not answer you with a new car. But if you go and you got a 1987 Toyota Tercel that's rusted out and the tires are flat and the engine is blown up, God, I need a transportation to work. Maybe he'll give you a Cadillac Escalade. Maybe he will. Or maybe he'll give you a Ford Tempo with low miles. Who knows? Right? Ford Tempo, man. You don't see those anymore. But we have to continue. And when he does answer and it looks different than we expect, we have to be willing to accept that and realize that his gifts and what he gives is perfect. Right? It's perfect. 